welcome from Amsterdam, and thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Game Consultant. Your host of today is Reinout. Hello and welcome to Game Consultant. It's April the 26th and it's a Sunday. That means the last day of the weekend. Well, if you were living in Holland, then you knew that tomorrow it is King's Day. And normally in Holland, everyone will be in orange. But my prediction is uh, one and a half meters social distancing we're going to see a few, uh, but not the mega parties like you normally would see in the canals and on big squares, these kind of things. So anyways, um, all due to Corona. Oh, Corona, Corona, what are you doing to us? Um, in this episode, I have obviously Chris Reed with Reed Thinks About Esports. Uh, Joachim of Elite Game Developers is telling about his week and he had a very interesting case from 212. Um, definitely worthwhile uh, listening to that one. And also I had a quick interview with Akmal Soliev. Uh, he's a financial and management consultant at uh, AECS Consulting. We talked about uh the asian market and um well actually to be specific the southeast asian market and he has a report uh which you can find also later on in the description and also on my site podcastgameconsultant.com i actually noticed i didn't say that so much uh during the podcast but if you want to get to know more uh, about other episodes or what I'm doing, who I am, blah, 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 then you go to podcastgameconsultant.com. Um, I'm also setting up, well, I know some of my uh, co-workers are actually setting up a MailChimp account, so uh, you can actually register to receive every week an update about the two episodes right now. I'm going to try to have the Wednesday and the Sunday very interesting interviews coming up. Um, actually, it's going to be games for women this week. Yeah. Ain't that funny? Yeah. Kate Edwards. Um, she doesn't need any introduction. Um, we're going to talk about loads of stuff and also about what she's doing today, her vision on the gaming industry. Um, and then uh, that's actually going to be Sunday, so next Sunday. But on Wednesday... Uh, I have, uh, actually, she's working on her PhD. It's Yvette Won. And I hope I'm saying the name, name right. Um, if not, well, I'm going to get it. Um, and she has a PhD in media and information studies. Uh, Yvette is specializing in human-computer interactions in live streaming, esports, gaming, and social media. There you go. Uh, so it's going to be fun for me talking to two power ladies in this upcoming week. So, and that brings us actually to the main interview of today, and that is Yushi. Um, what should I say about Yushi? Uh, oh, I actually do have an idea because I always introduce him like uh, the sexy beast. Hey, did you change your name from uh, Sexy Beast to Super Beast? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, 
I always, when I sort of tell about you guys, and I always say, like, okay, don't laugh about the name. <laughs> sexy beast <laughs> and, uh, and I, I always leave a little bit of space there it's like a moment of silence don't don't laugh about the name it's called uh the sexy beast and then they yeah. look at me and it's like what oh, i want to know about it okay yeah, well it's a yeah, bunch we... of guys from finland <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's um yeah, I mean, uh, the, the reason for changing it is that we are becoming a bit of a bigger thing. So basically, we we uh, join forces. So we say goodbye to the sexy beast. Hello, super beast. So interview with Yushi. Um, it's all about game studios that should think about branding, not only about the branding of their game studio, but also branding of your game. How should you interact uh, with your gamers, the storytelling, the visuals? Um, it's one connected all together. And funny enough, this is a nice lead in to uh, the interview I'm going to have on Tuesday and uh, live in the episode on Wednesday with Yvette. Um, because I'm definitely going to touch some uh, more points on that. In any case, let's uh, first have a start with Reed. Things it's all about it's all about esports these days, right? Okay, Chris, take it away. Hey guys, welcome back to another Rethinks. Uh, another really busy week in the world of esports and gaming, but I'm definitely gonna have to start here. Not gonna spend a ton of time on this. Uh, you're going to be able to find a lot of info out there. Um, but I want to start with Travis Scott Astronomical Fortnite Concert. Over 12.3 million concurrent players participated live in Travis Scott's Astronomical, an all-time record, uh, which surpassed the immersive concert in Fortnite last year, uh, Marshmallow's concert. Um, these numbers are only taken into account the people who took part in the concert in-game. Many more watched the concert via streamers who broadcasted on their own Twitch or YouTube channels, meaning Scott's numbers are likely even bigger and will no doubt continue to grow. Uh, this is from Metro.co. Look, we've talked about this so much, about immersive environments um, and a platform such as Fortnite, the activations that can be available, and also what Epic's trying to do. Epic came out, what, Q4 last year and talked about how it's Fortnite, they're treating Fortnite more than just a game. It's really a social media platform. It's a social environment to bring people together. And it's more than just playing a game. So this makes obviously total sense. Um, kind of the second rendition from last year. And it looks like the engagement and viewership was up about 20% from Marshmallow's concert. So they're going to continue to do this. Uh, it's in line with what they're trying to do with the platform. And it's, it's just really interesting. You're getting a lot of different conversations around it. And the imagination when it comes to you know how uh, brands can activate. And how even like the music industry can uh, jump into and into a, a platform like Fortnite and how that would even look and how you can a engage, especially Gen Z in a new innovative way. It's a lot of really interesting conversation pieces. So I thought I'd bring that up. A lot of info out there about it. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. All right. Love this news. Uh, I th this is incredible. So uh, this is from ESPN.com jets, Le'Veon bell teaming up with liquids, hungry box for smash tourney. So for those that may not know, my brother is Reeve. Reeve is me on Twitter. Um, top smash or top smash melee player out there. Um, what a top four uh, Marth player in the world. So 
Uh, he sent me this news. He texted me this news uh, just a few hours ago. Super excited about this. This is really awesome. But this is kind of the mainstream news that, that I love seeing for Smash Brothers, uh, whether it's Ultimate or Melee. But New York Jets running back Le'Veon Bell is teaming up with number one ranked Smash Melee competitor Hungrybox to present the box, a $10,000 free-to-enter online Smash Ultimate tournament. The three-day tourney will take place May 8th through 10th with a cap of 8,192 entrants. Uh, this this will be by far the biggest Smash tournament ever if this plays out as far as the number of entrants. Um, the last the, the largest Smash tournament to date uh, was Evo 2019 uh, for Smash uh, Smash Ultimate that had 3,534 entrants. So uh, look, this is just incredible news. Because, look, I think that the FGC, I think Smash Melee in particular, I know I'm biased because of my brother, but I just feel that it's very uh, undervalued. I've, I've, I follow Smash Melee closer than any other esport, obviously because of him, um, but I just feel that it's, it's still very undervalued. I think it's very overlooked when it comes to different activations. I think sponsors overlook it. Um, and, and, not, and again, not just Smash Melee, but Smash Ultimate as well, obviously, but then just FG, FGC in general. So I think this is great news. More news like this is going to continue. You really haven't seen it yet in Smash, so I thought this was kind of that, you know, maybe an interesting inflection point that uh, finally after the, this first wave of uh, activations in esports that, that Smash is a part of this. So I was really stoked about this. Um, so Le'Veon Bell, man, this is this is really cool, really awesome news. The other thing, too, is um, Level Up Experience, uh, my, uh, my content company, is sponsoring an event, Smashes Rad, during that same weekend. But that's Smashes Rad is just for Smash Melee. Uh, this is going to be just for Smash Ultimate. So, uh, anyway, just I thought that was really interesting. Uh, the other thing that happened uh, this week that was really fun and really interesting was a company I'm working with called Gamer Jive had a virtual environment event, and it was really cool because basically there was there's a company called Founder Institute. Uh, shout out to Jason Jacobson. Uh, they're out of Chicago, and they did monthly meetups, uh, kind of a, a startup group, entrepreneur group. And they got with the team and developed, put together a virtual 3D uh, meeting place. And it was a lot of fun, uh, met a lot of really cool people. Uh, but it was great because we uh, te the technology um, was integrating video chat, text chat. Uh, there were virtual sponsor boards. Um, you know, the, basically it was, a, it was just a browser link that you clicked and then you dropped right into the, the environment. And, you know, you're able to walk around and click on someone's avatar, have a private chat. Um, click through their LinkedIn profile, but everything right there, I was able to connect with a lot of people offline after the event as well. But um, look, the reason I bring that up is immersive environments are so important, not just on like um, the gaming side, but also on the bit for business use case. Here's my, my big question is, you know, what's next past zoom. Okay. So De December, 2019 uh, zoom had 10 million active users. Now in April, April, the number is around 300 million. So you got a 30x increase. And while Zoom is a good platform, I'm not saying it's a bad platform. I think a lot of people are asking, well, what's next? What, what, is the, what is the next level of engagement? Um, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation or a group conversation, what does it even look like? What does it feel like? And the answer is immersive environments. And that there is no debate about that. And it's just cool. It was really neat to be a part of uh, a virtual networking event where you have an avatar and you're walking around and you're engaging with people. And it's in, in the esports and gaming spaces specifically, we're gamers. We grew up gaming. So gamifying the business experience and networking is something that, that it just makes perfect sense. So I, I'm just curious as to why this hasn't happened 
before. Um, you know, obviously there's other platforms out there and things like that, but like why this isn't more mainstream, but what's happening right now, obviously are these conversations, the pedal is to the floor when it comes to virtual environments, um, virtual events, obviously, because physical events can't, physical events can't happen. Um, we've talked, you know, tons about uh, the activations in esports from traditional sports. So you just see a clash of all this coming together and the technology surrounding it. And it's just really fascinating to me. It's really interesting what's happening. Um, there's so much connection, um, you know, I guess from the, you know, the B2B side, B2C side. And I just see, I just have a lot of interesting conversations that happen around it. So we just want to see what happens over the next, next few months, next few weeks, but a lot of really cool stuff. That's going to be it for this week. You all, thank you all so much for, for tuning in and we'll see you all on the next one. If you want to uh, connect with me, do so on LinkedIn, C-R-I-S-R-E-E-D. Thanks, Chris. Um, lovely item again. And um, yeah, esports, esports right now. Um, uh, yeah, from what we're seeing, uh, revenues down when it comes to live events, the streaming parts are all, yeah, everyone is watching. And so um, interesting to see that that an older generation now also sort of is getting into esports without noticing um next time actually chris maybe it's an idea of, of what is esports to me everyone that is actually watching trying to compete um you know any type of game digital game online games whatever is actually sort of an esports genre right well think about it hey uh yushi Yushi and Super Beast. Uh, I love this interview. Yushi helped me out with the studio once, and I was impressed. And um, yeah, he was on my list to uh, uh, to actually talk to and and, and talk about branding um, from a different perspective than you might have actually um, yeah been used to talking to an ad agent, advertising agency, not an ad agency, advertising agency. Um, a lot of people are complaining. They never got what they wanted. And um, I'm pretty sure if you would give Superbeast a chance, I think you would be uh, excited. The interview. So today, today I'm talking about branding. I always call it storytelling. Storytelling, every studio needs it. It's not only the games that you produce, develop. It's also about the whole package. How are people looking at your company? And um, quite a while ago, I got in contact via Oliver, who I actually interviewed in episode 16, 17 or 18, whatever. Um, I got in contact with Yushi Solia. And we just discussed his last name, and I had to say it in a good way. I did. You nailed uh, it. <laughs> I nailed it. Um, and uh, Yushi is of Super Beast. And um, I was just talking to him, and I said, like, well, I always introduce you guys as the sexy beast. And I felt that that was really cool. Um, so I need to um, learn the new name, Super Beast. And, well, he's going to tell more about it, how... Did they come up with the name Super Beast? Anyways, he's one of the founders, and Super Beast is the lean and mean creative partner for bold brands. There you go. That is reinventing the agency model with a better, more direct, no freaking bullshit way of working. Hello, 
you she <laughs> hi hey man nice to be on the on the show um, yeah yeah that's us yeah yeah because uh yeah sexy beast super beast um you are being promoted yeah well yeah it's basically <laughs> i mean sexy beast has been around for three years uh and it's me and andre matarazzo my my amazing sexy partner from brazil and yeah. we've been touring the world and we've been to 10 countries working with amazing brands from startups to the fastest growing airline in, in Europe, uh, Wizz Air, our, our good friends, yeah. and, uh, and a lot of gaming companies as well yeah. to help them brand, uh, launch products and innovate uh, new products as well. Uh, and our you know, magic special sauce has been a five-day creative sprint. So we do everything in five days. Uh, we come to you. Uh, we run this really efficient process where we work together with all your key people, key decision makers, key doers as well. So artists and creatives from within the company. And uh, we bring um, global talent to the to the mix as well. So we find the best people around the world that fit this specific challenge, be it uh, brand designers or copywriters, whatever, but really stellar people. And then we work efficiently for five days and nail it. Um, but now Super Beast is kind of the next evolution, the next step in that, where we want to become, and our clients wanted us to become more of a partner that's not only there for the big moments like branding and launching and things like that, but in the same agile, working together uh, as one team method um, with no bullshit, uh, we, we then, uh, you know, work on the ongoing stuff as well. So we scale with you when you need something produced or, or some specific knowledge, we can help you find it. And, and we become the creative partner um, that helps you through pretty much anything. But it doesn't mean that it's like a heavy setup. It's, it's really the lean and mean mentality that we apply. But that's kind of in short what, what Superbeast is um, and why we're doing it. Yeah, because... Um... Oliver once said, like, yeah, you need to talk to these guys. Uh, they, 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 they know the shizzle. And obviously, we, the company where we were working on that needed to rebrand. And then I got this story from, yeah, so then they do that in a week. And I thought, like, yeah, right. Uh, what can you do in a week? It takes time. And you need to do this. And you need to do that. And then you need an approval. And, and you know, working with, with an, an advertising agency or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm used to that. That takes a while. And then you guys started. And then on the first day, I thought, like, okay, yeah, that's nice. But then how can they do that in five days? And then towards the end of the week, it started to accelerate or something. I don't know what it was, but also the vibe uh, among the people from the company itself, they started to get excited. They were part of the process. They were part of the, well, in the end, after five days, you have sort of a an, 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 an final result, which, of course, needs to be, worked out in detail but let's say the fundament was there and everyone felt like hey we we were part of it i mean i, I really like that process that that's still there right or yeah that's very much there that's one of the core things that we're going to take into super beast but sort of extend it from just only the five-day push to whatever we do together with the client so next week for example in the time of corona we're doing we're helping a sustainability startup in uh that's operating globally and we have a team from, uh, you know, uh, from Europe, from uh, from Singapore, uh, from from Brazil, actually working on 
on on this remotely uh, together in a three day process, and then we do a little bit of testing in between, and then we do another two days. But I think you know, so it scales to different models. But I think the key thing that uh, you know you mentioned there is is really the 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 involvement of the whole team. So especially when it comes to brand, but also for any other thing you do creatively, um, you want to have the core team, especially within gaming, because. There's so much talent internally and so many things regarded, uh, you know, uh, related to the brand and, you know, because the brand is the game and, you know, a lot of these things, the product is the brand and so forth. Um, and also all the UA and, you know, all of those things that are social community management, all that stuff is done internally. So it's absolute insanity to try and have someone externally understand all of that. And on the other hand, if someone comes from the external perspective and helps perhaps sharpen and clarify certain things, you need to have the the whole team involved so that we can a understand what it's all about truly and then uh when we work together on it everybody feels like it's us creating it it's not someone externally trying to you know slap something on yeah. our baby you know like a, a sticker that doesn't fit so that is really the empowerment because then you can run with it you know we we come and accelerate the process clarify and help but then the internal team can run with it but um, and they really get it and they understand the solution and they there's no open sort of big questions anymore. Um, and, and then, of course, now with Superbeast, we can support, you know, when you when you start executing. So if you need certain help in certain areas like creating a film or whatever it is, we, we can we can be there yeah. when you need it. So then um, I did ask you some questions uh, up front and, and, and bottom line. Um, uh, you have a background with Engage uh, over at Nokia. Uh, consulting like Remedy, Supercell, uh, worked on titles, Wargaming, uh, but also uh, Lockwood with African Life, uh, Red Hill, Rovio, etc. And then um, to, to, to give some status to the company, uh, 24 senior people in Helsinki and Singapore and have over 600 field specialists. Holy fuck. Um, so, yeah. so bottom line, uh, what you basically said, what you would like to talk about, but what I like also is the branding. I call it storytelling. You guys call it branding. Um, I think it, it's, it's, it's a mix of that. Um, what, yeah. what is making you tick on that? I mean, um, so, so why gaming? And then you partially said it already. Uh, there's a lot of creativity in there, but what makes the gaming vertical so very interesting for you? And, um, uh, ideally, um, if, if a game developer, a CEO or a CMO is now listening, what, 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 what is the message that you want to, uh, come across? What do you, what do you, what do you want to say to them? A few things, but uh, <laughs> let's try to keep it short. No, I'm, I think the reason why we're in this is because I'm I'm a lifelong gamer, so I love gaming and I I, I love the exactly what you said storytelling. And I'm just playing the latest Tomb Raider, and I'm just like trying to explain to my wife what an amazing piece of storytelling where it's interactive and you're just in it, and it's the next level, right? So we all who are in gaming understand that and love it and all that. But there's I guess a a bit of me that thinks that you know that there's a bit of a there's a bit of a bubble mm -hmm. uh, that has formed because gamers are doing well. This is, I think, everybody kind of gets it that gamers who are, you know, uh, passionate about the craft and the the storytelling, all these things that we talk about, we are a, a bit of a close knit group in a way that is a bit of a different mentality in a way, and and there's a bit of inbred feeling to it in the sense that when you do gamers do games for gamers, it, it becomes a bit of a yeah. bubble. 
And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, only, you know, that it's like a horrible thing. No, no, no. Of course, we need to understand. And there's a special bond between, you know, the gamers and the community who's creating the games. It's one community. It's, it's not like there's two sides of the coin and there's like someone like Coke trying to push you, you know, stuff you don't need. It's, it's really creating products for this audience. And, and it's an embedded symbiotic weird relationship which is beautiful um and and games take a life of their own especially when you you're talking about mm or you know the massively multiplayer uh, role-playing games and you know these different types of really sort of games that are no longer in the control of the developer almost it's like a world yeah. of its own so it's a special relationship but i think it would do well to kind of sometimes and maybe more often, at least looking at it as a gamer as well from the outside, I'm not finding really intriguing stories and games to play because it feels like it's repeating the same formula over and over again and, and playing it safe. Of course, there's innovation happening, not necessarily in the big titles, but there as well. But I think it's also from the branding. I'm always seeing the same testosterone filled, uh, you know, the sci-fi and like the, the shooters and everything's always the same brute force, you know, fucking kill everybody, you know, this kind of very fixed look um, or a way to kind of present the story. And, and it just doesn't offer me anything that I'm going to, I get it very excited about. So I'm, I'm kind of saying that, you know, keep what's special about gaming, keep that bond, but then perhaps have a bit more of external influence in terms of, you know, someone poking the box a little and saying, what if we tell the story like this? What if we inject these kinds of elements to it? It could be more interesting. Maybe find through that, you might even find new audiences that you bring to gaming because it is, like you said, the storytelling taking to the next level. So there's a lot of, I think, people who disregard, still disregard gaming as something that I don't understand. It's only for gamers. Of course, there are people like Nintendo and a lot of, lot of others, you know, in the development community as well who are, who are breaking that barrier, but I still think that's, that's needed. Um, um, but I think that the process for that needs to take into account this special nature. And I, 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 you know, this is a message for the CMOs and all the people in the industry who, who are thinking about brands and all that stuff that I think I'm, I'm sure you've been burnt mm -hmm. uh, quite a few times trying to work with the external partners because there is a, there is a divide. There is a chasm between, you know, this special world that you operate in and the world of yeah. agencies, traditional uh, marketing, communications and branding agencies, they just don't get the way it takes time. and the it special is nature. It expensive and the end result is always, uh, you know, I worked once and, and they came with, with, with five concepts and in the end I, I choose elements of all the five and then I said, okay, and that needs to be together. Go back to your office and, and come forward with. So then at the end I, I, I paid a huge bill but I you know, I was really uh, not impressed. And I felt like I, I, mm. I, I had to step in in order to get it into the direction that at least the end result I, I would like. And uh, maybe that is also the thing that makes you differ. You, you make the people feel part of the process and feel part of the result. Because they know their company, yeah. they know their games, and they, 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 they know what they want to bring towards a gamer. Because it is, and I'm, you say branding, I say storytelling. What's the difference? <laughs> no. <Not much>. <laughs> <laughs> we're telling a story yeah. and we're, we're exactly, and then we're clarifying it. And, and then, but it's also like a story, but it's also the, 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 the persona. And, and uh, you know, um, of this entity that, you know, the tone it speaks in and the way it expresses itself and all that. And that's obviously something that the companies are like 
spending tons of time working out when they create the game. Like, what is the experience? What is, what do you, how do you feel when you play the game? What is the, the you know, the attitude and all these things. And that has to link to the, the, the way you promote it and you talk about it externally. And I think they're the, um, you know, we had a great example working with Red Hill Games, uh, obviously super senior people building an amazing yeah. game. Um, and they were bold enough to realize, and even internally, some of the guys had, and, and it's a bit of a different way to approach it. They were worried about, are we doing this branding thing now too early in the development process? Because they weren't even in alpha, you know, they were really pre-alpha, like, you know, really sort of rudimentary. They had the basic gameplay elements and all that stuff kind of nailed. They knew what they were going for, but the story was still taking shape and all that kind of stuff. And they felt like, shouldn't we wait until we know exactly what the story of the game is and how we want to tell it and, you know, the world and all the, the whole experience. And then we kind of translate that into marketing. But actually, they were bold enough to, you know, kind of say, let's let's do it early on. And, and we did our five-day thing with them together in Helsinki. We brought people from around the world to help them. And it was a beautiful process because, you know, I think we both the both sides informed each other. So having that external perspective uh, helped them clarify, like how can they create a more of a unique game world as well? Not only the story that you tell externally to, to the audience, like how you, what's the tagline for the game and things like that. But it also informed like the storytelling and the tone of voice within the game. Like how can we make it a bit more, you know, stand out from the competition because we analyzed all the competition and not just looking at what's the key art, but, some of the decisions and the things we found creatively uh, influenced the game world itself and made it stand out more and made it interesting, yeah. more interesting. And we also, you know, during the process, we had gamers come in and, and we showed them different paths and different versions. Like what if there would be a key art and things like that, where you could see some detail of the characters and they, they latched on to some things. And that's interesting. That's cool. That's different. But I still get it. It's, it's this kind of a game. And then the guys went like, shit, okay, that cool. That's cool. They like it. We should bring that into the game in a bigger yeah. way. So as an example, they are now working with the copywriter who, we brought in who is not only like an ad guy, but he's also uh, right screen writes. He's, he's a screenwriter and, and, you know, longer like storytelling expert. So he's working now with Red Hill on the tonality of the game and all that and building the in-game elements and story and all that kind of stuff. So I think they're super excited about it. And after the process, all of them came to us and said, actually, this was exactly the right time to bring you guys in because now we know clearly what we are and what we are not. So that helps develop the visuals, the story, even the game mechanic, you know, the whole experience. So I think that's something that I find super interesting. And it's probably not something that's very common in the industry, because obviously, I, and I get it, you know, it's your baby, yeah, you're working okay. on the creative vision. <laughs> that's going to be difficult. But, because and, a lot of times, and, they, it feels like you're touching something, their, their DNA, their soul, and then you tell them like, nah, but we feel, but I mean, yeah. But I think the cool thing about that, and that's why it's so, that won't work when you have someone externally without your in, without you really collaborating, looking at it and giving you ideas. They will never understand the nuances that you brought into it. But when you have a healthy dialogue where both parties respect each other, it's not us externally trying to force you into doing something you don't think is really the best thing for the game, but it's giving you new perspectives. And then together, we take the ones that we feel that add it, add benefit, you know, benefit it, and, and then take, you know, kind of tweak things or remove things that we don't think that actually work. But it's, it's not about someone, you know, it's not us externally coming and telling you don't know what you're doing. 
it's more like giving you a bit of a sounding board uh, to throw some new ideas and perhaps challenge you a little to try to make it even better. So I think that's kind of why the working together process is just so much yeah. better. And and I think that's to conclude my long monologue on why CMO should be excited about perhaps working with us or I don't care as long as, you know, these are things I hope they do with someone. But um, but I think the um, sort of the, the point is that don't even if you've been burnt with different processes, you know, these this is where, you know, hopefully we can help you guys um, in terms of, you know, bringing this kind of external sounding board and a, and a different kind of process that is not saying you guys don't know what you do, but it's more like, you know, perhaps helps you level up, um, you know, in certain areas and, and give you some yeah. clarity. Hey, and um, yeah, yeah, obviously um, companies that have funding, people that are experienced, that are open-minded, uh, those will be your clients. Um, I can, can, let's not go into what it costs to do a process like this because there are several ways to look at it. I would say, well, it, it does cost you in the beginning, but it, it delivers you so much more during, uh, launch and, 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 and community management and, and et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. but ideally when, or what, yeah, I should actually phrase this question. Um, I could ask you what is the ideal size type of game developer i mean how, how are you looking at it i mean you, obviously you approach companies where you feel like okay via network it's a via via like for example oliver is, is then working with lockwood and then yeah yeah you get to do your shizzle with lockwood but what, what i mean if, if an indie is listening right now i think that that is that's way too early yet i mean Talking about affordable, talking about uh, direction of the company. I mean, they maybe have their first game. The the company needs to mature. When when is the ideal scenario of picking up the phone and and uh, I want to say call the sexy beast, but call the super beast? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good question because that's a bit of a a thing for us to also now discover. I mean, we're on the path of again because we don't think we. Again, we always approach everything where we don't have the absolute silver bullet for everything. It's more about talking with the companies and, and every company is very unique in terms of where they are with their funding. It could be that you have great funding, you've landed funding, but you don't have a lot of people, yeah. you know, you're early or whatever. Or then you've been grinding for a long time and then you're ready to invest a bit of money into giving that clarity so that, you know, maybe that tweak is the thing you need to unlock. Maybe it is that we're just not telling our story in the right way that people would get it because you only have a few seconds when you're browsing, you know, app stores or, you know, Google Play or like any of Seven the seconds, you know, PC yeah? marketplaces. Yeah. So, so, so we have to capture. So maybe it's just that you might have a stellar game, but the story and, and the way it's presented is just not quite there. You haven't even realized it. What makes your game special because you're so close to it. You know, you don't realize how, what the amazing things that your game does that, would link to something that the audience is looking for. So it could be that it can be a simple thing. Um, but I would say obviously that it, it does cost a bit of money. Uh, we're not like super expensive, uh, but, uh, and we're open to one thing that we're interested in as well is, is to think of different types of models for, um, you know, compensation. So it doesn't always, if we find some, you know, a, a project or a game or a startup that is really, really something that we believe in, we're hoping, you know, we're very open to exploring different, uh, compensation models where it's uh you know could be equity yeah. or 
uh, profit share or, or, you know, these kinds of things where we, where we can be a partner for a long term to help you grow. Um, but it, could, and, and scale. could it also be then? Sorry, yeah. I'm but could it then also be like okay? So there are some Indies listening right now that uh, you don't want to have them call all, uh, and, and, and an email. But is it maybe possible that you can do a sort of a, a free hour consult uh, to see whether it's an opportunity for them? Yes or no? I mean, you have to be yeah. honest. I mean, they're really nice, but I think at this stage we can't really make an impact yet. You need to do X, Y, Z, and then come back to us, and then it might. I mean. Yeah, that's what we do quite a bit, actually. That's exactly it, because like I said, we don't have an off the shelf solution, you know, like, okay, this is it. And this is the only way to do it. You know, now, especially with Super Beast, we can look at different models and, and, you know, adapt. But also because our model is not based on, you know, what I love about after 25 years in this industry, uh, I love that we don't have to we don't have an army of people in a factory that we have to employ. You know, we don't have the creatives and these people that would skew our thinking in terms of like, we have great web developers. So our solution to our client is like, yeah, you guys need a website or you need a digital campaign because we know how to do that. Or we know how to do events. So their solution is an event. Or even when we talk about the the model, because we don't have people we need to have to sell to you and get their salaries paid, then we are very free and open to kind of discuss. And if we then realize that, this is not the right moment, like you said, or, you know, some variables are not met, then we are very honest about, you know, uh, saying that, okay, this won't work because we know that when we start working on things together, the client will really quickly realize that this is not the right thing to do, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so um, it, it keeps us honest. And, and that's kind of one of the founding principles that, and, and we're more than happy to have a chat because you never know. I mean, it's always interesting to talk and it might lead to like, let's say six months down the line or a year down the line, um, the situation is very different, and then then we might you know be able to assist and all that. So yes, I I wouldn't say no to uh, any calls. Perhaps I mean we're not the right guys to call when you have an idea for a game, you know, or you know really early on. But but um, yeah, happy to have yeah. chats for yeah. sure. Hey, and um, <clears throat> this is well, we we talk more about the, the the games right now, but also for the company itself. I mean. Um, mm. You have to stand out. I mean, obviously, a logo is a logo. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, you also uh, sit down with the team and talk about vision. Um, who are you? Uh, color design. I mean, it's, it's also the, 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 how say that? the corporate look and feel. And corporate is maybe yep. your, the company look and feel. I mean, um, that, that that's also part of... Well, they can they, they can ask you actually. Okay, we want to help with the game, the storytelling, but also how how uh, um, how's the storytelling in the game, the design, etc. But there's also a company behind it. I mean, um, the philosophy. Why did we start this? What are we doing? Who are we? Um, I mean, uh, you once worked on on a Spanish company where you used the sunset as a color scheme. I mean, it, it, it back to the roots, back from where you come, the fundamentals of who the founding team is, that that all together makes also the, the company look and feel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, obviously, that's a lot of the work we do for non-gaming companies as well, is, is you know, define 
the who is and why does a company exist and and the look and feel and all that the whole branding uh the package we do but that's yeah it's the developers you know um and if not publishers obviously um need that too and and a lot of the times what we've realized when we've worked on these things especially in the industry one of the key things is the recruitment um side of things i mean everybody knows the best talent is hard to get by uh, come by and there's you know the, the the crazy growth of the industry still and you know all that so everybody's struggling to find the great you know the best people so that was one of the tackle uh, things we had to tackle especially for example with that spanish company and i think it was the idea also for them to level up to become you know from a local star to a global hero in a way so because when you when you and this is not only for gaming it's for any brand any business that when you might be okay to operate in your local market and and a certain on a certain level way the look and feel and you know a story and all that which isn't necessarily 100% there where you want it to be but it serves its purpose right but when you want to kind of scale up and your your game is doing better and better and you want to kind of start attracting better talent uh, more serious investors uh, and also gamers will look at who's behind the game you want to look the part you want to kind of have that sort of polish and the global level and you want to look you know like supercell or rovio and all these you know um, you know big players because then you're in that space you're in that same you know playing field when it comes to you know talent wanting to work for you and and specific challenges i think the spanish company was was an amazing example because uh they obviously had the the idea of um you know the challenge of how do we get people to work in mallorca yeah. Um, and and it's not the most known gaming hub, but what we did is we found that that's actually a huge benefit for them because I'm sure you know we realized that there are a lot of people working in London or you know some of these hubs that want to get away from the smog and perhaps have a want to have want to work on great global level games, but ne- don't necessarily want to live in a congested you know polluted city, but would rather have a siesta. And you know, go to the beach <laughs> after every working yeah. day. So we kind of turn that story into the spearhead, and then when you make it look sexy and and cool and like really polished, and that the level of work that they're doing is amazing, that becomes a very you know strong uh, sort of offering and a, and a and a message. So those are the kind. But I think the thing there is exactly what you said. It's about it's about really extracting what's important. Like what's none of this was something we invented. It was just because we had the external perspective, we could go in and really it's all, it's like psychotherapy, yeah. understanding what makes you special and then extracting that and saying, guys, these are the key things. Let's turbo boost these and make these the spearhead and then make it look sexy and amazing and build a very cohesive, simple, uh, clear story around it. Um, so that's the process, not us coming in and saying, you guys should be this because that'll never work. You know, the brand has to come from the soul of the company or the soul of the game you know what is at the core of the game and that needs to be then enhanced and polished and you know all that so i think that's and that's what gets me super excited because that's why that's why we've landed with all the branding we've done on things that have been used and people love them and and they've worked for the companies really well because it's and then they can keep on executing it because it is true to them they don't have to pretend there's something else fair enough cool um to wrap it up um if someone is interested i mean uh superbeast.co i'll have the links in in there anyways um if 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 they uh, approach you right now i mean you have quite a staff and then also people you work with um 
can you get to work straight away? Uh, is there a waiting list? I mean, I can also imagine that, yeah, uh, if you have several projects at the same time, it, it might be much. Or how, how does that work? Um, depends on the project, obviously, but our model scales, scales quite well because, you know, that's the, the benefit of having the 600 and plus uh, network of people. So it's not like we have 20 people internally and those are the only guys who can work on things. So we'll have, a, you know, a client partner who knows the gaming world inside out. That will be the main pain point of contact. And then when we form, depending on the project, we form the right team, find the right experts. And then we have people who conduct sort of the you know, produce and then conduct the, the the very intense working together moments and all that. So it's quite scalable. But of course, there is if we get, you know, 50 people call me and want everything right now, that might be a bit of a problem, but we'll we'll do our yeah. best. But um, there's not a huge waiting list at the moment. We are working on a lot of projects, obviously, you know, uh, our friend COVID doesn't doesn't sort of help. But what what's actually what we've seen is because we are by nature a very fluent organization in working remotely. I mean, that's how we live and breathe and have been doing for the past, um, you know, the SuperSun, especially for the past seven, eight years. And me and me and Andre with Sexy Beast, even though we've had these moments of togetherness on location, but we've now moved that really easily into a virtual process because that's really just bread and butter for us. And I think within gaming, it's also true because you have hubs around the world and people work really remotely and from home and all that. So we've actually seen an uptick on, on, you know, people contacting us because they're perhaps traditional players and, and, and agencies that help them can't adapt to this new world as, as well as we have. So, yeah. So we can, please be in touch. We'll see what we can do to help. Cool. Well, usually I know that uh, today uh, you're moving somewhere nicely uh, to have a long weekend. <laughs> yeah we're we're actually no we're we're uh what we're gonna do is we're gonna luckily finland is for once it, it being in finland is a good thing well <laughs> quite a quite a lot of times actually we're the happiest nation and all that stuff there's a lot of stuff about that but the thing that we i love about it is that we are very good at social distancing by by nature that's kind of yeah. you know in our dna so <laughs> yeah. so well. and there's plenty of forests to roam in so i'm gonna pick up my wife and my my four-year-old um and leave the ipad behind and games and go into the national park which are plenty so we're gonna just go there and grab something to eat and just wander around in the in nature nice. so it's it's the best sort of you know, anti-stress treatment you can imagine. So cool. that's our sort of getaway for the weekend. That's the last advice to our listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you <Yeah>. can. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Yussi. And um, my pleasure. And, uh, we catch up soon again. Yes. Have fun today. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Thanks, Yussi. And uh, I hope you're still uh, taking a straw there in the forest in happy, happy Finland. Um, next, talking about Finland, Joachim, come on in. Thanks, Rhino. It's Joachim Akren here, and I'm going to go through all the interesting things that we covered this week on Elite Game Developers. If you haven't heard of us, we're a game entrepreneur development company helping people who are starting off on their founder journey and starting their first games company. You can read the latest articles and news by going to EliteGameDevelopers.com and checking out our blog. 
On this week's newsletter, we're sharing a breakdown on an awesome lecture from 2011, where super evil Megacorp CEO Christian Segestrale is talking at the Summer of Startups event in Helsinki. So Christian and his co-founders had recently sold Playfish to EA, and he's sharing his top five lessons from being an entrepreneur in gaming for 10 years. You can read the breakdown by going to EliteGameDevelopers.com slash blog and in the newsletter archives you can find the news number 26 where the breakdown is posted. And this week we also uh, brought out an article on how to learn from venture capitalists. These people are constantly sharing their knowledge on podcasts and Twitter. There's so much value for entrepreneurs to learn how VCs think uh, as they're the most aligned people out there when it comes to thinking about building these billion dollar companies. I suggest that you sign up at EliteGameDevelopers.com and you'll get all the insights directly into your inbox. That's all for now, guys. Stay safe and stay well. Thanks, Joachim. Uh, lovely item. Uh, all of you do check EliteGameDevelopers.com. Uh, there was also last week um, about cap tables for game developers in startup mode. Very interesting. So, EliteGameDevelopers.com. Hey, next, Akmal. Akmal is telling us more highlights about Southeast Asia. Uh, report is also with a link in the description, blog, everywhere where you can check it out. So, let's do this. So today we're actually talking to Akmal Solias. And again, I'm teased with another name. And uh, as far as I heard, I was saying it, I'm saying it right. Um, yep. He's a financial and management consultant at AZS Consulting. And in this week, we have been talking um, actually to Sergey from Mail.ru. He had a report coming out as he was doing it more as a hobby, he said. But it were very interesting numbers. 700 million went into startup gaming uh, Q1. And then later mm -hmm. on, uh, we actually had a talk also with Richard Williamson of Edison Group with the report, European Video Games, a safe haven in troubled times. But now I'm going to talk to Akmal about Southeast Asia. And um, I got about 14 pages in, in a PDF and uh, he was just explaining to me uh, this is an ongoing document, and, and he will explain a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. Um, first of all, yeah. AZS Consulting. Can you tell a little bit more about uh, who you guys are and, and what you're doing? So we're divided into two parts. Uh, we have a, a classical sphere. So we do consulting for a classical sphere. We're talking about metallurgy, production of oil and gas, and all of this. Um, and additionally, you know, for which we provide actually management consulting more rather than financial. Whereas in esports, our aim is actually to construct um, proper valuation methodologies for esports organizations, um, sponsorship deals, uh, advertisement, all of this kind of stuff. But, and also player valuation for potential transfers. Uh -huh. So, yeah. 
That's interesting. Play evaluation. We talk about valuations all week and <laughs> play evaluation. Can you, can you say a little bit about that? That's actually quite interesting. So we're thinking about, like, first of all, um, a lot of us, we have a knowledge in a different video games. Um, personally, yeah, me and my colleagues, uh, we have a relatively well-rounded knowledge when it comes to... So we first want to tackle League of Legends. Uh, we have a well-rounded knowledge when it comes to, to that game. We want to see how can we implement the in-game in-game statistics with the potential uh, point of a pro player being an influencer, and actually yeah, at the end of it all uh, provide a valid, justified, uh, non-biased based valuation of how much is the player worth. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> This okay. is as far <laughs> as I can tell you <laughs> for now. For now. <laughs> yeah. No, wonderful. I mean, uh, I was always thinking about uh, valuations for companies and these kind of things. But yeah, player valuation, that, that becomes a hot item, I think so too. Just an, 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 an off-topic off question. Do you know actually how many transfers there are in esports over a year? And, and is that increasing? Uh, at the current moment, actually, uh, we have not initiated this, uh, this action of uh, doing the, the player valuation. Hence, uh, we're not that informed about uh, the sphere at the current moment because we just finished uh, the valuation of an um, esports company um, in Southeast Asia. We worked yeah. on the following report and our upcoming project would probably get, either will be the player valuation or we'll look into something else. Cool. Well, then uh, keep me posted on that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this this um, report you have been doing now, if 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but you said like okay, it's it's the Southeast uh, video gaming market. Yeah. Um, you uh, released it. Well, you had a first date when I saw it with Chris. That was April twelfth. Um, but you're now sort of finalizing it, and then people are able to uh, um, to download the PDF, right? Uh, people can download the PDF. Uh, people can download the, yeah, uh, would be able to download the presentation, the written version. And additionally, you can just read it off uh, the blog post that we'll make, which has yeah. a little bit more because it has interactive uh, um, graphs, which could be yeah. of potential interest to the people. Got it. And if, if, if uh, as I said, it's, it's 14 pages, well, minus the two f first ones, but uh, so let's say 12 pages of uh, uh, full info about the region. Mm -hmm. um, I saw something with uh, annual growth uh, of 25% from 2000 to 2018. Uh, can you tell a little bit more about what, what you think are nice to know uh, facts from Southeast Asia? So Southeast Asia, yeah, first of all, but it came from an extremely unconnected, uh, un-internet-based uh, region back in 2000 to yep. around an average of 63% of region, of the whole region being connected to the internet. That's more than a half. Yep. Like, uh, that's more than a half. And you can see yeah, how the country, the region is moving from non-digital-based um, sphere to a completely yeah. digital. So people are having access to the internet. People are able to do uh, their work, their business uh, through the internet. Everything is starting to develop slow, in, not in a slow space, uh, slow uh, pace, but like very rapidly. It's, yeah. it's 
absolutely insane how rapid the region is growing. Um, so basically, if we take a look, like there are 354 million people online. Yeah. And additionally, 109 million smartphones. So okay. that's, and, and yeah. Would you reckon that's mostly Android then? Excuse me? Is it, you, you think that will be Android? Is that a false uh, uh, statement from my side? What, what would be, the, is it mostly Android or is it a mix between Apple and, and uh, Android users? Uh, so uh, this uh, 109 million is more or less smartphones. So smartphones, yeah. uh, you have uh, Android users, you have Apple users, everything. So additionally, there is 68 million computers, so PCs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On which, uh, to be honest, like uh, from our research, we saw that a lot of people who love gaming, they go to internet cafes or they play on their smartphones. So it was, okay. yeah, it was extremely hilarious because like one of the guys, um, one of the professionals in the sphere, he told me like um, Mobile Legends is so huge in Southeast Asia that even homeless people play it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're a homeless person, but you got to get that rank one or something like that. That's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing it here. 61% mobile, 38% PC, and the rest most likely tablet and these kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, in terms of um, uh, companies that are doing well in the region, are those mostly the the, the Asian companies anyways or um, um, are there also some western companies involved so if we're talking just about the gaming sphere so you obviously you have a home uh home player razor so yeah. you have those guys additionally like a couple of other people but like the biggest video game in southeast asia when it comes to pc is not southeast asian or chinese game it's dota it's huh. valve's okay. game uh, additionally, yeah. then comes League of Legends, and then another Valve's game, Counter Strike. So, League of Legends, you can assume like, okay, they're not really American; they're Chinese at the end of the day, or something like that. Like all yeah. of this kind of uh, different assumptions coming uh, all, all around the way. But like the biggest companies in the gaming sphere are is Valve. If you take a look, Valve and G Arena. So those are the Gearina yeah. additionally produces their own titles like Free Fire, like POV, a couple of other ones. But at the end of the day, the market is well distributed, I would say. So yeah, yeah. With the access, yeah, Arena yeah. has been focusing on this 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 uh, specific region, I I believe. Or yeah, am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Southeast Asian. Uh, right now, they're called SEA, uh, so yeah. Southeast Asia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, basically they they you you know what the company does just by looking at the name of it. Yeah, hey, and in 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 terms of um, you were just saying I'm I'm looking at uh, Indonesia, Philippines. Uh, you have the population, and then Indonesia. What was striking? 106 million people online. Yeah, and then 87 million. So 81 percent is actually a gamer. I mean. Indonesia is is by far uh, in 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 the top on that one. Because Philippines is thirty nine percent, Vietnam twelve, Thailand twenty two, Malaysia thirty. 
But uh, in, in Indonesia, basically, you can say everyone is a gamer. More or less. But, like, don't forget <laughs> yeah. that these numbers are also including, like, uh, people who play Candy Crush, like, those kind of things. They're still considered the gaming category. Yeah. That's why I get, uh, the numbers might be a little bit high. It's because, yeah. like, still, like, you, you have to include the grandma and grandpa playing Candy Crush or, or farm building, uh, all of this kind of stuff. That's what, yeah. that's the reasoning why yeah, a lot of the numbers are high. Uh, but there's also yeah, uh, relatively well justified numbers. Yeah. And um, then interesting future market analysis. I, yeah. um, so wider mobile adoption mm -hmm. and mobile uh, expected to be 29, no, sorry, 22.9% from 218 till 228. So, um, and then you said, well, you, you guys uh, basically say in the report, it's expected that the SEA internet economy will reach a whopping 300 billion US dollars by 225. Yep. That's internet in total. Um, so, so how much would that be, for example, in gaming? Is that, was that anything that you guys could filter out? Um, unfortunately, this is something that we did not filter, but like, if you take a look at the current moment, uh, the number of, uh, uh, people who are utilizing mobile games <laughs> on the market is around, well, on their phone is around 14%. So it's supposed, supposed to grow by like, I, I think it was around 24, 25, somewhere around those, uh, uh averages. So if we take a look, we could make um, a very rough assumption that 25% of that 300 billion would be around the gaming. Cool. But that's a very rough assumption. That's a yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's it's an estimate. Yeah. And, um, okay. So uh, okay, got it. 25% of the 300 billion Southeast Asia by 225. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to, it's cool. going to be a huge market. Uh, it's, that's for sure. And the thing is, um, with the access, so if you take a look from what I've gathered information is that Southeast Asian market at the current moment, uh, majority of the economies are not um, wealthy per person. Um, the average Joe is not super wealthy. But then afterwards, you have your um then you have those people still having the ability to connect to the internet, still having the ability to serve the web because the price per uh, megabyte is quite low. Um, yeah. And afterwards, you have the phones. Then you have a hardware, which let's not forget, like the phones we have right now, Samsung, uh, S20, you know, like all of this kind of stuff, those are flagships but there is still a budget category which costs around $200, like, and more people can actually buy that and serve the web. Those are called basically potato phones, but like at the same time, they work. Yeah, yeah. So- Yeah, they can go online so they can play games. Yeah, and a lot of those, so if you take a look, one of the things that made Mobile Legends so huge is its ability to run in those quote-unquote potato phones it's not resource heavy it's obviously yeah. if you want the best graphics if you want the best everything you're gonna get, uh basically get take um your s20 phone like but like but at the same time you can run this game on iphone 4s yeah so it's a super old phone but you can still run it yeah 
on your Nexus S phone? That's an interesting one. Um, uh, so, bottom line, if you if you look at a lot of Western game developers, mm-hmm. they they definitely eyeballing Asia and of course China and Korea, Japan. Um, but then, if 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 you look at this particular region, then most of their games that they actually develop, they they um, yeah, as you said, the the, the full blown games, so they couldn't actually run on the phones. You call it potato phones. Mm-hmm. Um, they they wouldn't even be able to to be played by uh, this this large amount of people. You could guess so. Like it, obviously, it depends on from game developer to game developer how he adjusts uh, uh, his game. But at the end of the day, it seems like. For example, um, with the whole announcement and release of Call of Duty on mobile, I'm pretty sure those phone, uh, like uh, the phones in South, a lot of phones in Southeast Asia can't run the Call of Duty game mobile. But at the same time, there's there is a huge um, the cell phone market at the current moment is passing through the is in the golden age. I, I would consider because there is not a huge difference between your $1,500 phone and $200 phone. Like there is obviously you have a much better camera, much better like uh, RAM or something like that. But for daily use and like simple light gaming, you could go, you could be excused with $200, $300 phone, to be honest. Yeah. Which is already quite expensive for some people yeah. in the region itself. Yeah. 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 That's definitely for sure. Okay. And to be honest, like it's 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 gonna be the future is still it's still gonna be yeah, spread out. So, for example, uh, Dota is still seems to be yeah, still dominating the region. Uh, PC games are still something that people really enjoy, especially considering that there there is a culture of internet cafe um, where yeah. you go and afterwards it's just a bar or like cafe where you go and play video games on a, on decently good enough computer and rent that space to play that video yeah. game for very little money. Uh, but there is additionally a phone market, which you have a phone, you still need a phone to communicate with your friends uh, to do. So I, I even saw some people just studying on their phones, doing the whole university yeah. on their phone, which was quite shocking for me. But like, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm a little yeah. bit old fashioned for that one, but yeah. No, but it's yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, all those books, all that that information you're getting, and that only by a phone. I mean, yeah, it's well. If that's the only tool you have, then <clears throat> yeah, then then you have to settle for yeah. that. Um, and and yeah, uh, internet cafes uh, um, or game cafes. Uh, that's basically what I had in my neighborhood. And um, um, by day, people were checking the email, and around uh, mid in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. The gamers would come in, would go all the way in the back. There was sort of a darky uh, atmosphere yeah. there with, with all kinds of computers and, 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 and people were screaming and cursing yeah. and, and until late at, well, actually early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still yeah. remember like when I was a kid, uh, we would go to those internet cafes for, um, it was a night LAN party where you yeah. just go and literally sleep there if you happen to pass out if you not you wait until like seven o'clock in the morning and then go back home but usually those internet yeah. cafes were filled with smoke like 
the sheets, uh, the seats were uncomfortable. The keyboards were disgusting, but it was just the beauty of uh, just playing with your friends all together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If you um, to wrap it up, if if you would have one highlight that would be interesting for uh, Western game developers, how to look at the region Southeast Asia. What would be the highlight of the report that they should take in consideration? Um, what could be potentially interesting for uh, companies who want to enter the market is taking a look at a uh, number of gamers, uh, so revenue per gamer, and uh, comparing that with the population and the online population and the gamers. Um, so this could be interesting because like, uh, the game developers can uh, do double-based uh, strategy. Do they want more impressions, such as like, for example, Coca-Cola brand, they do more impression-based uh, advertisement where they prefer that the people would just know the brand and always keep the brand in their head? Or would you like to go yeah. a conversion uh, route where basically each time a company pays uh, for each conversion uh, to their website, to their sale, to whatever it is, the, uh, the advertising gets paid. Um, so those are the two routes. Um, obviously, if you go for conversion, it's much better to go for Singapore, for Brunei, which has much, much higher revenue per gamer. But if you want for yep. a bigger market, for a bigger slice of a pie, there is always Indonesia, there is always Philippines, Vietnam, like they're, they're large and Thailand, uh, they're large markets. But like, it's a question of yep. like, how do you want to adjust your strategy at the end of the day? Cool. So, yeah. That's cool. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I liked reading it. And uh, as I said, I will have uh, the links and the LinkedIn uh, profile of you so that people that are interested to know more get in contact yeah, with you. Definitely, for sure. May I? More than welcome. Cool. May I thank you and uh, all the best in Milan. Thank you very much. And stay thank safe. you very much. All right. Thank okay. You. Talk soon. Bye. Bye-bye. So thank you for listening. Um, yeah, a bit longer than usual. Um, but as I said, sometimes things are good and I don't want to withhold. So either you listen to the interview that you, you find interesting or maybe on... Uh, you can actually um, complete listening uh, to this episode. In any case, uh, as said, next week or this upcoming Wednesday, uh, Yvette. Yvette is going to tell us so much more about uh, engagement uh, within uh, games like um, like she specialized in, in, in as said, human-computer interactions in live streaming, esports, gaming, and social media. Um, and then uh, I do have the interview with Kate, Kate Edwards. She doesn't need any introduction um, on Thursday, which you can listen then on Sunday. So um, after finance and games, we're going to Power Lady in gaming. Um, that's all for now. So you know how I always end this. Ciao for now. This was all for today. 
Thanks so much for listening to Game Consultant. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. And remember, do share this podcast with other members of the games industry.